Good morning. Welcome to the live broadcast. We're broadcasting from Cedar Bluff Baptist Church Auditorium. As you know, with the new restrictions, we're not allowed to gather. And so our alternative is to do a Facebook Live worship service broadcast. And we are also broadcasting on uh, short range radio. And so I want to thank everybody who is tuning in via Facebook. And for those who have driven to the church and are in the church parking lot, I had an opportunity to look out in the parking lot just before we went live and saw over a dozen cars out there with people and families in them. And I'm so encouraged by that, to know that even when God's people are restricted from their normal mode of worship, that they still desire to gather and to be a part of the church community and to hear the word of God as they know that's important to their faith. I also want to thank all the people who have worked to make this happen. As you know, this is a, a new development uh, for us and we were not fully prepared to go online or on the radio. And so I want to thank Brian Smith, the man behind the camera, behind the scenes. Uh, he's done a lot this week to make that happen and I so appreciate him and all that he has done and is doing right now. I also want to let you know that we will be recording these messages on CD and we will be posting them on the website cedarbluff.org and on the podcast recommissioned with Justin Hall uh, so that if uh, there are those who don't get to hear this live they can always go back and watch it on my Facebook page Justin Hall or the Cedar Bluff Baptist Church Facebook page or at our website or podcast, they can listen to the audio on that. And so we're doing everything that we can to uh, continue to minister and to provide this uh, service and, uh, and Bible teaching to you during this shutdown. Uh, a lot has developed through this week. Last week we were gathered together and we knew that there was a possibility that this would happen. Uh, but at that point, we were still hopeful that we would get to meet together another week or so. Uh, but as you know, new cases have developed across our country, across our state. Uh, and so we know that we will not be able to gather next week. And so we will continue this. And, uh, and then at that point, we will give you an update uh, from week to week as to what we're going to be able to do. As I was preparing for this, uh, I was praying and, and just seeking the Lord about uh, what message I should deliver. And, and I believe that God led me to a text in 2 Kings chapter 6 and 7. But I was also praying about how to deliver it. Uh, to preach to a camera, to preach on the radio is not the same to preach to people in an auditorium. And so as I was thinking through that, I was reminded of a message that I heard some time back that was given in the first person narrative. Uh, the title of that message was My Name is Hosea by E.K. Bailey, and I would recommend it. You can find it on Sermon Audio. Uh, but in that message, he spoke as if he were Hosea and uh, was telling the story of what God had done. And so as I was preparing this week, I, I felt led of the Lord to take that approach, uh, that as we're doing this Facebook broadcast and this radio broadcast, I thought that it might be helpful if I presented the message in a first-person narrative, uh, whereas I'm not just preaching the text and I'm not just uh, giving you the points, but I'm gonna tell you the story in a first-person scenario 
as if I am Elisha. And uh, so we'll see how this goes. And if it goes well, I have uh, plans for doing this uh, next week also with a different character. And so if you have your Bible, or if you have read, we're going to be in the text of 2 Kings chapter 6 and chapter 7. The story that we are going to be reliving this morning begins in 2 Kings chapter 6 verse 24 and actually continues all the way to the end of chapter 7 verse 20. It's quite a lengthy text. It's a narrative text as, uh, as most of the Old Testament is. And so I'm not going to read that text uh, today. Uh, I'm going to tell you the story through the eyes of Elisha. And so let's have a word of prayer and then we will get started. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to teach your word. I pray and ask that you would bless those who are tuning in uh, online and on radio. And I pray and ask the Lord that you would help me to deliver the message that you have for us. And may it be a message for the hour uh, that glorifies you and comforts your people and uh, gives us direction for the days ahead. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My name is Elijah. I was a prophet in Israel who prophesied during the time of King Jehoram. I lived in the northern kingdom. By the time I was born and came along, the kingdom of Israel had split into two. There were two southern tribes, uh, that was Judah and Benjamin, and then there were ten northern tribes. Our two kingdoms, uh, while paralleling each other in many ways, uh, had vastly different uh, trajectories. While the southern kingdom stayed more closely to Jehovah uh, and oftentimes had kings who brought it back to repentance and revival, our northern kingdoms had no good kings to speak of. And so God began sending prophets to this northern kingdom in a unique way to try and call them back to himself. And I had the privilege of being one of those prophets I wasn't always a prophet. Not too long ago, I was a farmer. And as I was farming in my field one day, I was plowing with a yoke of oxen. And as I was making my row, all of a sudden I felt something upon my back like a mantle. It was a unique feeling, if you will, if you've ever experienced one of those feelings that, that felt two things at once. It was startling and yet it was comforting. It was strange, and yet it was familiar. It was weighty, and yet it was uplifting. And when I turned to see what this was, I found that it was the mantle of the great prophet Elijah. Elijah had walked past my field and thrown his mantle across my back and kept on walking as that man of God was like to do. And so I ran after him and I asked him, what does this mean? And Elijah told me that God had called me. And so I gave up my business of farming and I began following Elijah, walking in his footsteps, training under his tutelage. And for a couple of years, I had the privilege of being his understudy. Little did I know that God was preparing me for such a time as this. Yes, Elijah tossed that mantle on me on that first day, but from there he took that mantle back up and he wore it well. As a prophet of God who stood against one of the most wicked kings 
Israel ever had a man named Ahab who had a wife who was more wicked than him named Jezebel. Yes, it was that Elijah who carried that mantle who stood against those 400 prophets of Baal. It was that Elijah who stood toe-to-toe with Ahab and Jezebel. It was that Elijah who was transported by a chariot of fire into heaven before my very eyes. And when he left this earth, his mantle fell once again to me. Since that time, I have had that same strange dual sensation of the weight of the prophet's mantle and the uplifting of the Spirit of God that came with it. Well, in my time as a prophet in Israel, Ahab died. Ahab died and his son Ahaziah became the king. He was as wicked as his father and his mother and God did not allow him to reign very long. Two years was the length of his reign. He had a fall and got sick and he did not recover from that. And in his place, his younger brother Jehoram became the king. Jehoram was slightly better than his father Ahab, but that's kind of like telling someone they smell slightly better than a camel. He was still vile and wicked and evil. He made a lip service to God, but there was no life service to God. He used it more as a tool to control the people and the populace And when it was not convenient, his true colors shone through. The story that I want to share with you today is a dark tale. It's a dark tale from a time in Hebrew history when we were in a most desperate time. As our capital city of Samaria, where I lived and King Jehoram also resided, was surrounded by the Syrian army, led by the infamous King Ben-Hadad, And while he and his forces surrounded us, our city was quarantined militarily. We could not go out. We could not go in. Our supplies were shut off and our food supplies ran out. And when people were ready to give up almost all hope, a divine twist of God changed everything in a moment. And we came away a happy and hopeful people. Well, let me remind you that dark tales are the story of history. You and I must realize that there is no perfect place or time on earth. History will tell us of war upon war upon war. There have been wars since the beginning of mankind's domination on the earth. And the Bible foretells that there will be wars until the Lord returns to put down all of those powers. And so wars come and go. Not only are there times of wars, but there are also times of famine, times of shortages, times of drought. Even in this world today, those things are still happening. And another part of the dark tale is that there are diseases, plagues that spread throughout the earth, regionally, locally, nationally, and even sometimes globally. 
Well, this dark tale begins with the surrounding of a foreign army on the city of Samaria. This was not our first interaction with the Syrians. Ahab had fought against this and God gave him a miraculous victory. But his son, Ahaziah, made a critical mistake when he allowed King Ben-Hadad to live. And God sent us warning. And he said that that man was meant for destruction. But because we were not obedient to the command of God, that that destruction would turn upon us. Oh, as I look back in my time, I realize that God had protected us time and time again, even through my ministry as a prophet to, to uh, Israel. There was a time when Ben-Hadad was planning to ambush our king. And God's Holy Spirit told me of the news and I passed it on to the king and saved his life and he avoided ambush not one time, not two times, but three times. So much so that Ben-Hadad called his court together and asked them who was for the king of Israel because they were sharing all of his intelligence with us before it could be executed. One of his wise men had been enlightened by God and he said it is none other than Elisha the prophet that he knows what you say in your very bedroom and he tells it to the king. Well, as you can imagine, this turned Ben-Hadad's ire toward me and not just toward our king and kingdom. So much so that when I was traveling with my faithful companion Gehazi, I was in the city of Dothan where we spent the night and when Gehazi went out that next morning to gather water to prepare for our morning meal, he looked around and he saw that the city was surrounded by the Syrian powers. I, having the Spirit of God upon me, had the eyes to see that we were not surrounded but that they were surrounded by the armies of God. And I prayed and asked God to open the eyes of my companion Gehazi and when he did he saw that the mountains were a flame of fire with the angelic host surrounding them and God did something miraculous that day he sent confusion to the captain and to the armies of Syria so much so that I was able to walk right up to the lead officer and tell him that he was in the wrong place and that if he would follow me that I would lead him to where this said Elisha was and so I led him and walked him right through the gates of our capital city, walked him right up to the throne of our king. And in that moment, God opened his eyes and all the eyes of his men. And that day, our king was gracious. And he sent the armies home without one harm being done to them. And we had peace for a time, but for some reason, un be known to me. God allowed Ben-Hadad to come with all of his unified forces against our capital city of Samaria and to hem us in and to sequester us and to cut us off and to siege us. Well, they camped outside of our gates for so long that there became a shortage of food and necessities. We tried to ration what we had and then our rations ran out. 
We went into our reserves and they lasted us for a time, but then our reserves ran out. It got so desperate during this time that they were selling a donkey's head for 80 pieces of silver. While uh, donkey meat is a delicatessen in some places uh, of the world, its head is not. I don't know if you've ever tried to eat the head of a donkey, but it's mostly ears and skull. There's not much to it. But because the famine and the shortage was so bad, it was selling for 80 pieces of silver. They were even selling uh, dove's dung for five pieces of silver for a pint of that. Yes, our city and our situation got so desperate in this dark time that people were resorting to anything that they could. Oh, I'm telling you, it was a more desperate time than I had ever seen in Israel or that Israel would ever see. This desperate time began one morning when the king was walking upon the wall. He could not leave the city for the enemy forces. He did not want to be amongst the people because he had no answer for them as a king. And as he was walking upon the wall of the city, a woman cried out to him, King, help me. And the king looked at her and he said, If God doesn't help you, what can I do to help you? I have nothing left in the warehouse. I have nothing left in the vineyard. I have nothing in the reserves that I can help you with. And this woman told one of the most disturbing stories that has ever been uttered in the borders of Israel, a tale of cannibalism that had never before been seen or never after. This woman said that she and her neighbor made an agreement to sacrifice one of their children and to cannibalize that child, and they did so. And when the time came for the other to do the same, she hid the child. Oh, I am telling you, it was a desperate time in Samaria when people began to devour one another, doing things that they thought that they would never do. And it was all because we were cramped up inside that city, not allowed to go out, not allowed to enjoy the luxuries and even the necessities that we had had before. And may I give you a word of warning as a prophet who has seen this with my own eyes. While I realize that things are not as desperate in your situation as they were in ours, God in his prophetic word did remind us that there is a danger to us that when we are cramped up together and the frustrations and the pressures of life are weighing down on us, that there is a danger that we bite and devour one another and consume one another with our words and with our actions. The Bible tells us that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves, and that this is the fulfillment of the law. But if we bite and devour one another, we will consume one another. And so may I give you a word in your desperate time. Be kind. Be loving. Be considerate to the people with whom you are shut in with. Yes, things are going to be different than they normally are. Yes, it will take its toll on you. Yes, sometimes you'll be tired and you'll be hungry and you will be anxious, but don't lash out. 
Don't bite and devour one another with your words. Take a moment, pause, pray, seek the God of heaven. You see, this was a desperate time in Israel. It caused infighting and insecurities. It caused people to devour each other. And it even caused doubt in God. When King Jehoram heard this despicable tale, he ripped his outer robe showing his deep remorse, but also revealing that he had an underlayer of sackcloth. Yes, King Jehoram had been repenting. King Jehoram had been taking this religious measure that he thought might bring the favor of God. No, he wasn't wearing the sackcloth outwardly for everyone to see. He was not that committed to God, but as a religious uh, relic, he did put it on underneath. At the news of this story, Jehoram's true colors and true tendencies showed forth. His anger turned toward me because I was the prophet and representative of God in our city. And he swore that I would lose my head before this day was over. And so he left the wall and he came to my home to, to take me and to execute me. And as I stayed him, he says, what am I waiting on? He showed his doubt in God because he said, this evil is from the Lord. You see, Jehoram revealed that he doubted God. He didn't believe in the goodness of God. He didn't believe in the sovereignty of God. He saw God as the cause of his problem. That's a danger that we all must be aware of in a desperate time, that we begin to see God as the, as the criminal, as the one who is imposing this upon us. But I reminded King Jehoram that God is a good God and that Jehovah has taken care of us before and that Jehovah will take care of us again. And I even had a word from God that came to me in that moment that in the very next day that there would be a measure of fine flour being sold for a shekel and grain for two and that there would be abundance and that there would be plenty. Oh, but that word from God, that promise from God exposed the doubters who were in the room. One of the elders of the city who were that gathered together with us, who was a consort with the king, scoffed and laughed. And he says, how can this be? Lest the God of heaven open up the windows of heaven and perform a miracle and cause it to rain down. He did not believe that would happen. And in that moment, God had a word for him, and I told him, it will happen, and your eyes will see it, but you will not live to partake of it. Well, on that day, unbeknownst to us, there was a divine twist that was taking place. In our society, there had always been people who were quarantined. They were called lepers. Leprosy was an incurable and highly contagious disease that oftentimes was spread throughout our region. The lepers, once their leprosy was diagnosed and discovered, could no longer live in their homes, 
could no longer live with their families, could no longer live in the cities and the pace of populace. They had leper camps that were outside the cities and they had to keep their distance from us. And little did we know that there were four lepers who were starving to death outside of our city walls. And as they sat outside those city walls, they realized that they were abandoning all self-reliance. Can you imagine if the citizens in the city cannot have enough to eat, then there's not going to be benevolence to give to the lepers. And they said to themselves, if we stay here, we will die of starvation. But if we take a chance and we go out to the Syrian camp, there is a chance that we might be able to scavenge some food or find some mercy. After all, the worst that they can do is kill us. We face death either way. You know, it is interesting what those lepers were experiencing. Uh, it is something that everyone needs to experience, and that is an abandonment of self-reliance. That is us realizing that there are some things that we cannot do anything about ourselves. Not only did they abandon self-reliance, but they also abandoned their dependence upon government. As they had seen, the king was not able to feed his own household, much less feed them. This was a problem that was bigger than they were individually. It was a problem that was uh, bigger than their uh, country was nationally. This was a God-sized problem, and it had a God-sized solution. And so some quarantine lepers, out of desperation, discovered the power of God that day. As they went out to the enemy forces, it was in the evening, just at twilight, as it was beginning to get dim. And when they got to the edge of the camp, they saw nobody around. There was not the normal noise and activity that would be going with the military camp. There was no noise of fire and cooking. There were no orders being given out. There was no music that was being played. There was no noise at all. It was eerily silent. These lepers, being hungry as they were, took advantage of this and slipped into the first tent that they came to. And they found some food and they began to eat. And they ate until they were full. And they ventured out of that tent and they found another tent that was empty. And they saw that the other tents were empty. And all of a sudden they began to hoard that food together and uh, began to stash it away. And all of a sudden their conscience caught them. And they said, we do not well. If we stay here until daylight, something terrible might befall us because we have a city that is starving to death and needs to hear this news. And so they begin to make their way back to the city of Samaria. Well, what they didn't know was that some unseen force drove the threat away. What we are told is that as those Syrians were in camp that evening, they began to hear not the steps of lepers approaching their camp, but they heard the hooves of horses in army formation riding down hard through the valley. As they began to listen intently and to discern what they thought that they were hearing, they thought surely... Samaria has hired the armies of the Hittites 
and the armies of the Egyptians and they are coming to ride for us and they are going to attack us under the cover of darkness. So real did this threat feel to this Syrian army that they literally fled on foot, leaving everything behind. They did not pack up their tents. They did not pack up their food. They did not pack up their artillery. They did not even take all of their animals and their pack mules. They began to run on foot. And this unknown force that was driving them away was so real and so threatening that they left things strewn all the way to the River Jordan as they were discarding those things that they had picked up and were now weighing them down. Although Syrians did not know what that force was, it was not an army from Egypt. It was not an army from the Hittites. It was not even an army from the southern kingdom of Judah. That unknown force was God. What a lesson, what a reminder, what a message this is for all of us to realize that when there is a threat that is bigger than we can handle, that is more than I can take care of individually or you can, it's more than our government can manage, that we have a God in heaven who can turn to flight the force of the enemy that has us quarantine in our homes. Well, as those lepers go back to the city, they call out to the guard on the wall and they said, we have news, we have news. And the guard came down and heard them and they told them the story. They didn't know what drove the Syrian army away, but they knew that the camp was empty. And so they told it to the guards and the guards took this information up the chain all the way to the king. And the king says, hold on a minute. This is not like the Syrian army to run off. What would scare them away? He says, I believe it's another ambush. I believe that they know that we are hungry and that we are desperate and they have just uh, abandoned their camp and went a short distance away into the woods and they're going to wait until we come to get that food. And when we are out, they're going to attack us and they're going to attack our city. And one of the king's generals said to the king, let us take five horses and five men. We are about to starve to death. The horses are as bad off as we are. What if we lose five? At least we will know. And as those five horsemen rode out and they examined the camp, they are the ones who rode on and discovered a trail of goods and possessions that were strewn out on the ground all the way to the River Jordan as that army was shedding their cumbersome load as they headed out running away from that noise. All the good news was brought back to the city. There was news that there was food and they brought it back into the town. And the word of God, the promise of God that I had made the very day before, that there would be flour that was sold for a shekel and grain that was sold for two, and that there would be plenty and abundance, God fulfilled it to the T. And that reminds me that there are some promises of God that were proven true. Let me remind you, O child of God, that every problem becomes an opportunity for God to work. And so let's begin looking for God in our desperate situation, in our dark time. There is always a divine twist. 
God has not left us hopeless. Just as God had designed that I, Elisha, would be in the city of Samaria during this time, God has designed that you, Christian, would be in America at this time. And that just as I had a word from God that I was able to share with the people a promise that would give them hope, you have a word from God that you can share with your family, with your friends, with your neighbors. Let me remind you of some of the promises that God, our great God, has made to you. He has said in Hebrews 13, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do to me. Hey, let me remind you of this. God has not abandoned you. God has not forsaken you. Jehovah did not forsake Samaria and God has not forsaken his church. And so take heart. If you have God, you have everything, and you don't have to fear anything. Don't allow fear to take over. The Bible says that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 tell us this, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Don't allow your mind to focus on the fearful. Allow it to focus on God the faithful and to get into his word and into his promises and to be reminded that he is in control. And all of those worries and those fears and those anxieties that you have, turn them into prayers. And we are to pray and to supplicate. Oh, if there is something good that can come out of this downtime, it is that you and I are less busy. There are no ball games. There are no extracurricular activities. There are no concerts and events. And that allows us time to spend with the Lord, time to read his word, time to get on our knees and pray. Perhaps God wants to send a revival to our country and he is giving you and I the space to be intercessors because revival does not begin with an evangelist. Revival does not begin with a citywide organized campaign. Revival begins when God's people humble themselves and pray and repent of their wicked ways and then God sends healing from heaven to their land and to their soul. Listen to this promise that God has given to us in his word. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or peril or might I say, or coronavirus? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, God still loves you. 
That is a promise that you have from His Word, and it is a reality that you ought to live in every single day. Just because there's a virus that is spreading across our country and across our globe, just because there is a, a lack of work and businesses may be closing down for a period of time, does not mean that God has stopped loving you. The greatest evidence of God's Word is the cross of Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you ever waver, if you ever doubt the love of God, look to the cross of Jesus Christ where God displayed his love in full and showed that he would not withhold from us his only begotten son. How shall he withhold any other good thing? I want to leave you with the promise of the Psalms. Psalm 30, verse 5 says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Yes, I am an ambassador from Hebrew history sharing with you a dark tale about a desperate time when people had almost lost hope, but because of a divine twist of God, everything changed in a moment. Our God is still on the throne, and our God is still able to change things in a moment. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I do want to pray today for all the people who are tuning in and who are listening. Father, first and foremost, I want to pray for protection. I pray that you would protect the most vulnerable in our society from contracting this virus. I pray that you would protect all of us, Lord, that you would uh, insulate us and secure us and that you would give us a protection from uh, the sickness that is spreading around. Father, I pray also for your provision. I'm so thankful for your testimony that, uh, that you always provide and that you are able to provide. And I pray for the people who are in a desperate situation today, who are wondering how they're going to make it through if this shutdown lasts, if the quarantine is implemented. Father, I pray for your provision and I pray for it to come through your people. And I pray and ask the Lord that you would do it in a way that gives you the glory and the honor. And last of all, Father, I want to pray for perseverance. Even faithful Christians who have served you all of their life can sometimes get discouraged and downhearted and overwhelming by the endless stream of bad news that comes through their TVs and their devices. Father, I pray and ask that you would help us as Christian people to persevere in the faith and in faithfulness to you. And that even though we are not able to gather and to minister as we normally do, may we persevere in our pursuit of you and may we find new ways to serve your people and to show your love to our neighbors. And I pray this in the most powerful and mighty name that I know, the name of Jesus Christ, amen.